All right. Like I said earlier, there is no children's church today. Um, so, uh, children, you have to suffer up here, which I'm very sorry about. Um, but uh, for all of us, children included, our text today is from Psalm 51. So please open in your Bibles to Psalm 51. All right. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight and write sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. Lord, would you create in us a clean heart and lead us into repentance as we reflect on your psalm. Lord, would you give us a right understanding of this text and a, a right love for you as we come to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we begin, I want to remind you of the series we're in is called Scale the Mountain, and SCALE is an acronym. It stands for STORY, which is that each psalm is a part of a grand story of the Bible. Christ, because every psalm is about Christ and, and points us to Christ. A stands for affections, which is emotions and in our inner being, and the psalms are meant to stir our hearts. Um, L stands for love, the point of all. All God's word is summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so the Psalms bring us to this place of love. And as we love the law, as we love the Psalms, we learn how to do those things better as well. And E stands for exaltation. And we get to exalt the Lord through the Psalms. That's the purpose and the end goal of the Psalms. And we even see that in this text. It ends with talking about sacrifices and good pleasure on God's people in right worship. So that's the point of all the psalms. Um, and I also want to say, uh, today's sermon is going to talk about some really difficult things. Um, and so I want to give a disclaimer up front uh, 
that we're going to be talking about sensitive topics. And so if, if you feel it necessary to bring your children out for a moment, or if you need to step out, that's okay. Um, I also want to thank Melissa Osner. We had a really great and helpful conversation about how to talk about some of these sensitive topics this week. So I want to give credit where credit's due. Um, so uh, now, let's dive into our text. I have one call for us today, and that is this. Repent of your sins, for Jesus has accomplished our redemption. I'll say that one more time. Repent of your sins, for Jesus has accomplished our redemption. We're going to talk about what repentance is, but we're going to get there through four steps, and I had to do the alliteration. So every word starts with H, so you can remember it. We're first going to talk about the history of Psalm 51. Second, we're going to talk about the heart of repentance. Third, we're going to talk about how to repent. And fourth, we're going to talk about the heart of the Lord. I'm going to say that one more time. History, the heart of repentance, how to repent, and the heart of the Lord. And if we're starting with history, the history of the psalm is not pretty. The text at the beginning says to the choir master, Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. This is about a historical event in David's life and in the life of God's people which is recorded in the Bible in 2 Samuel. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, while you guys are doing that, I'm going to recap a bit about who David was. He was God's chosen man. He was the righteous king to lead all Israel and establish God's purposes in the land to kick out God's enemies, establish right worship. In 2 Samuel 7, which is a really important chapter in understanding the whole Bible, God promised David that his descendant would build the temple, who would bring, he would bring peace to the land, and God's steadfast love would never depart from him. And God promised that David's kingdom would last forever. And it seems like David is a righteous man. And yet, when we go to 2 Samuel 11, it seems like there's a different story. Um, so if you're there, that is going to be up on the screen. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Now, let's pause here. This is already bad news. David is supposed to go out with the kings and go to battle and take back the land that has been stolen from God, and he's not doing it. He's already disobeying God's rule. Let's continue. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And that woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she told David, I am pregnant. If I could summarize the rest of chapter 11, David, after finding out that Bathsheba was pregnant, tries to get her husband to come back and cover up, to sleep with her to cover up the pregnancy. When that doesn't work, he tries again, and that doesn't work. So David sends Uriah the Hittite to the hardest part of the battlefield to be killed by God's enemies. And once her husband died, David marries her, presumably so that nobody would figure out that the child was illegitimate. 
So I just want to say, this is a really hard story to hear. It's really difficult, and if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you probably don't expect some of the gruesome wickedness of God's servants. And this is one of God's best servants in the Old Testament. But this is the context for our psalm, and it should cause us to pause and think about the horribleness of David's sin. I want to say a few important things about the context, about the history of this psalm, because remember, Psalm 51 doesn't exist in a vacuum, but it exists as part of God's unfolding story of redemption. And sometimes that story is messy, and it's hard, and people sin really, really bad. And my first point in this is that it can be really easy to avoid difficult passages like this because they're hard. And I think this is one of maybe the top five most difficult in the whole Bible, right? But the Lord has put these things into His Word for us, for our sanctification, for our understanding of God's purposes, and for our understanding of God's truth, to grow us in holiness and as a community grow together. And He's even given us His Word for our healing. I don't think we should be reckless with this passage of the Bible, but I don't think we should avoid it either. That's the first thing. Second, uh, the text doesn't tell us how willing Bathsheba was to sleep with David. And I, I say this because it's really tempting to focus on Bathsheba's actions and not David's actions. I mean, he's God's king. We don't want him to fail. But the commentators of this situation in the Bible, uh, they are pointing to David's sin here. And uh, verse 4 says this. It says, David took her. I wonder if we have an echo of Eve in the garden here, where Eve saw the fruit and she took it for herself. An echo of the first sin in David's sin. Bathsheba was the victim of a horrible injustice. She had her privacy violated. She was taken by the most powerful person in the nation, and her husband was murdered. So, I think it's right that we take a moment to acknowledge David's sin and Bathsheba's pain at the same time. What was done to Bathsheba was evil and wicked and caused her significant suffering. And my third point is there might be some of you having questions of why would God allow such a thing and where was God when this was happening? Why would God allow this and where was God when this was happening? And I want to say it's okay to have these questions. God's not scared by them. And here at City Hope, we want this church to be a place where we can take our hard questions to the Lord and to each other as we, as we work through God's Word and as we work through the situations in our own lives. Um, and we want this to also be a place where you can find healing, hope, and peace. Um, as for an answer to why God would allow that, I don't know. And the Bible doesn't tell us. Really, um, we know it's part of God's redemptive purposes. We know God is good and he's loving, and he cares for us, but we don't know the specific reasons why a lot of events happen. But he does love us, and he does cherish his people. Uh, in Exodus, this is the revelation of God's character. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and the children's children for the third and fourth generation. This is God's character. And part of his character, too, is that he's all present. He's everywhere. And so, as to the question, where was God when 
Bathsheba was sinned against, God was right there with her. He didn't leave her. He didn't forsake her. And this story tells us how God felt about the whole situation. The very last verse of chapter 11 says this. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. This isn't just like, my teacher is displeased with me because I got an F. The displeasure of the Lord is a horrible thing. Because to be displeased with the Lord means you don't get his presence. means you don't get his favor. You don't get his blessing. And if he is holy, that means you're cast out of his presence and his holiness. God does not overlook sin based on power, status, or wealth, or anything. If you have been the victim of some abuse, whether that's emotional, physical, spiritual, or financial, I'm sorry, that's happened to you. And God sees you. He, and he's not pleased with what's happened to you. But the pain that you experience will not last forever because the Lord is merciful and gracious and he cares for you. And Bathsheba, God didn't leave her in the dust either. It was her son that was Solomon. Her son was Solomon. He built the temple. Do you know who came from Solomon? Eventually, Jesus came from him. And so the Lord even redeemed Bathsheba's story to turn it into one of redemption. It was from Bathsheba who came the savior of the world, which is where we get to in chapter 12. Our psalm mentions that Nathan the prophet confronts David. Nathan tells a parable of a rich man with many lambs who robbed a poor man of his single precious ewe lamb that was like family to him. And when he told this to David, he was confronting David. David was angry about the man in the story. And he was sinned against. Verse 5 of chapter 12 says this. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Imagine hearing that from the mouth of the Lord's prophet. You are the man who sinned in this grievous way. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. That's the sword of God's enemies. David used. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. He shall lie with your wives the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. So the Lord forgives David, even though he's going to experience horrible punishment in this life. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. Excuse me. This is a sad history of our psalm. It's the background of our psalm, and it's kind of painful talking about some of these things. 
But there's a reason why we do it. It's because it's in God's Word, and He gave it to us for our sanctification and our growth. And uh, if we ignore that context of the psalm, I think we ignore a lot of the weight of the psalm. The horribleness of David's sin informs the gloriousness of God's redemption of David. And I think if we recognize the horribleness of our sin, um, it also shows the glorious riches of God's mercy toward us. I pray that the Holy Spirit would use the context of the psalm in this psalm to deepen our repentance and enrich our knowledge of the Lord. And now, since we've looked at the history of the psalm in all its gruesome detail, now we get to look at the heart of repentance that's revealed in the psalm. So let's go back to our text. Now that we've looked at the history, let's see what the heart of repentance is. And indeed, at the very center of the psalm, verses 7 through 12 tell us these words. I'm going to read them one more time. Purge me with, with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold within me a willing spirit. Friends, this is the heart of repentance. Make me clean, Lord. Do not leave me, Lord. That's the heart of repentance. And do you notice here that David addresses both guilt and shame? We talk here about honor and shame, different honor and shame cultures, and guilt-innocence cultures, how different people think differently, and this psalm addresses both. It says, verse 9, hide your face from my sins. When someone's ashamed about something, you don't want anybody to look at what you did. And so, when the Lord is asked to hide his face, that's a shame statement, right? David is ashamed of what he's done. And yet, he also addresses the guilt portion of this as well. He's guilty before God. He says, blot out all my iniquities. That's a courtroom language right there. It's like he's saying, wipe my record clean, Lord. I'm guilty. I don't want to go to jail. I want to be with you. I don't want to be in your punishment. And it all kind of jumbles together because guilt and shame are mingled together in our sin. And the point of it all is to be in the Lord's presence. Don't take away the Holy Spirit from me, cries David. As king in the Old Testament, you know, today we, we get the special blessing of having God's Holy Spirit as God's people. In the Old Testament, only certain special people got the Holy Spirit, and the king was one of those people. Got the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, I should say. David wants the presence of God. It's not just like, I want all the blessings that come with it, but I want you, O Lord. Make me clean so I can be in your presence. That's the heart of repentance. So, I want everybody in this room to think for a moment about your sin against the Lord. Think about a moment when you sinned, maybe it was past, maybe it's present, and it came to your attention. We know that sin is simply rebellion against the Lord in thought, word, or deed. Maybe it could be on your conscience right now, or maybe it's one you've already been restored from. Maybe God's word convicted you, or maybe there's a Nathan in your life who pointed something out. Or maybe you have guilt or shame of something that you did long ago that still haunts you to this day. 
I want to walk through the Ten Commandments slowly right now and just think, just think. Have you committed idolatry in your heart? That's commandment number one. Is there anything that absorbs your devotion, your time, your love, your energy more than the Lord and what He has called you to do? Number two, have you made something of this earth an image of something to be worshipped that you devote your full attention and devotion to over and above the Lord? Number three, have you used the name of the Lord in vain and and therefore dishonored the Lord with your lips? Number four, have you honored the Sabbath and kept it holy? Have you honored your father, father and your mother? Have you murdered someone? Maybe not in person. Uh, I don't think I know any murderers in this room. But have you murdered someone in your heart and hated them in your inner being, turning the image of God into an object of your wrath? Have you committed adultery? God's image for marriage is one man and one woman in exclusive covenant relationship until death. Have you violated that commandment? Have you violated it in your mind and through your eyes and in your heart? Are you a thief? Have you stolen what rightfully belongs to another person? Have you stolen glory, reputation, or honor that was due to someone else? Have you, by your actions, denied something that rightfully belongs to someone else? Have you lied against your neighbor and slandered them? Have you misrepresented someone or led them astray? Have you gossiped and thus painted a wrong picture of someone who is another person made in the image of God without them even knowing about it? Have you broken a promise or a vow? And lastly, do you covet? You spend your days desiring someone else's life, someone else's house, their animal, their spouse, their lifestyle. Are you deeply dissatisfied your life, even though the Lord has blessed you abundantly. I walk down this list with you as a fellow sinner, right? We all break the Ten Commandments. We all break God's law. It's not just you. It's not just me. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. And so, this call that's at the heart of repentance to create in me a clean heart and restore a right spirit within me It's a call that all of us need to know and understand. And notice that it's God who creates a clean heart in us. It's not us who creates a clean heart in us. I think this is one of the biggest mistakes people make seeking repentance. They think it's us who creates a clean heart in us. We think if I can just do enough, then God will be happy with me. But think of David's lament. He says, my sin is ever before me. I have done what is evil in your sight. I was even conceived in sin. I've been sinful since, since I was young, and my, my sinful condition permeates my whole life. Anyone who's tried to fix their sin on their own knows that that is impossible. You cannot do it. I cannot do it. The guilt and shame of that sin still haunts you all the day long. Trying to earn mercy by our own good works is like chewing gum when you have rotten teeth. I, I, I don't have rotten teeth, but I have bad breath, and so I chew gum to cover up my bad breath. It, it's like perpetual. Ashlyn says, turn over, turn over in bed. I can't, I can't smell you anymore. It's so horrible. And I, I apologize if I've ever stood in front of you and you just nearly passed out. Um, 
So that's why I chew gum. But uh, it doesn't fix my bad breath problem. Uh, and if you have rotting teeth, it covers up the stench for a bit, but eventually you feel the pain, you feel the rottenness, and it comes back. Ugh. No, you need a dentist. You need a doctor. And Christ is our dentist, so to speak. Um, Christ is the one who heals not just our teeth. We'll, we'll get new teeth someday. Don't, don't worry. But even more than that, he heals our souls. He's a great physician. The Gospels say that uh, only the, the sick are the ones in need of a hospital. We, we are sick with sin. All of us. I'm, I'm saying this to you Christians, right? I think if, if you are a Christian, you have experienced, I've turned to Christ in faith, I've come to him, and why is my sin not going away? It's a battle that takes up this whole life till we die. But I want to remind you of my main point. Repent of your sins, for Jesus has accomplished our redemption. If your desire is to be clean before the Lord, then Jesus has accomplished redemption already for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. And so, you may be saying at this point, okay, okay, that's great. In theory, you've told us the history of the psalm, and you've told us the heart of repentance. I get it. I, I need to be made clean, and I, I want that. But how do I do it? How do I repent? Well, I think it's easiest to talk about how to repent by starting what repentance is not. Repentance doesn't mean you escape all the earthly consequences of your sin. David did not, certainly did not experience that. His child died. There was infighting, horrible infighting in his family, and it's just horrible. Continue reading in 2 Samuel, and it's just like shocking, the horrible things that were done. Uh, and you, you may know this. You sinned against someone, and the relationship doesn't get healed like that, or uh, there's still pain. You still feel guilt, even though the relationship is restored. And, you know, our fellowship with God gets restored, and we have a permanent relationship with Him. But sometimes when you sin against the Lord, and even when you repent, you still feel a dissonance there. Like, that's a normal human condition. So, repentance doesn't fix all these right now. Um, and I think for really deep, grave sins that have cut deep to people's hearts and lives, we may just have to wait until eternity for some of these things. But God is merciful and provides healing, even in this life. So, don't lose heart. Christian. So repentance is not escaping consequences. It's also not just feeling sad about your sins. Uh, I think this is what a lot of people in our world do today. And uh, the way this goes is you pity yourself for long enough until you feel like the pity either goes away or you've hit kind of this th threshold of feeling bad. So, uh, or maybe you have this idea, okay, I just feel bad enough. If I, if I make myself do whatever I can to feel bad. Maybe I'll listen to a sad song while I'm sad to make me sadder. Uh, I know none of you would do that, but uh, I, I think we all do that. We all do that. Um, it's kind of a self-punishment that exists if I just feel bad. But let's see what Paul says about this. In 2 Corinthians 7, he says this, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffer no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Do you see how godly grief leads to repentance? It is really important that we feel the weight of our sin, and we feel that we sinned. But 
Let that sadness for your sin lead you to Christ's feet. Don't burden yourself with that. Let Christ take it from you. That's hard. That's hard. We have, that's a step of faith to truly turn to Christ in repentance. But I'm going to say it again. You're going to get tired of me by the end of the sermon. You actually can repent of your sins. Why? Because Jesus Christ has accomplished our redemption. He accomplished it on Calvary. That's how we have our assurance of that. So repentance is, is not getting away scot-free. It's not just feeling bad. It's also not just doing good things, saying good things, thinking good things, learning good things, reading the right things. I think us Reformed people sometimes think if I just read enough books, then, then my repentance is fine. <laughs> but uh, it's really easy. It's not just tweeting the right things. I think us modern people think that that makes us feel better. Like we see someone did something bad and say, say online, oh, that's so bad. Um, we love those. But uh, for David, it's more than that. He wants a clean heart. It's not just about what goes on out here. And out of the overflow of our heart is where our actions come from. And so if our actions are covering up the sins of our heart, that action is actually an unclean action. And that's in the psalm, too. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Why? Because you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with those burnt offerings. This is Jesus's criticism of the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. And finally, repentance is not comparing your sins of those to others and saying, well, I'm not as bad as that guy or that girl. This can be really easy when we read about David, his horrible sins, and be like, well, at least I didn't do that. But that's not the point of the psalm. We forget the purpose of the psalms when we do that. The psalms were given to us as a means to give us words to repent, not only as historical reflection. So just as David was healed, after reflecting on his own sin, we too should reflect on our own sins and see how bad they are in the sight of God, because God is perfectly holy. He's holy, and he, he can't stand any sin, and yet we also were made to worship him. And so confessing our sin brings us into right relationship and fellowship with him so that we can worship him well. And think of these last three things just for a moment. Feeling sad or doing nice things or comparing ourselves to other people. We can do all of these without relying one ounce on the Lord. Every single one of these. That's godless ways of attempting to repent. We don't lean on him when we do this. And this is the whole point. The whole, remember the heart of repentance. God created me a clean heart. And I have some bad news we're all sinners. This is the bad news of the gospel. We talk about the good news of the gospel all the time, but there is bad news of the gospel. And sin keeps us from right worship with God. You, Christian brother and sister, or non-Christian, you have offended the Lord in thought or word or deed. And it's easy to compare ourselves to the person next to us or to another person we see, but we all have sinned. This is the sobering, difficult reality of the gospel. It's the bad news. But 
the good news is this, and I've said it over and over and over again. We actually can repent of our sins, for Jesus Christ has accomplished our redemption. He's accomplished it. It actually is possible. And how do we repent? So it's not doing those things, but we can see it right here in the psalm. I think I have a slide up for this, actually. Yeah, okay. So uh, first is prayer. You need to pray to repent because we're asking God to make us clean. So we, d- prayer is just talking with God. So it doesn't have to be something fancy. It could be you realize your sin and you pray a, a prayer in your mind. Um, but, you know, it's the first thing David says. Have mercy on me. Who? Oh, God. Because it's a prayer. It's a psalm. That's the first thing. And all these other things we do have prayer in mind the whole time. Second is we need to know and be convicted of our sin. And and we can see that David knows his sin. He says it's ever before him. I know my transgressions against you and you only have I sinned. That doesn't mean David didn't sin against Bathsheba, but there's no other heavenly beings. There's no other, other people up there who are offended. But God is perfectly holy. He, he knows our sin, and he is offended. We have sinned against God. So that's the second thing. Third is a desire and asking to be made clean. Remember the heart of the psalm, right? It's a desire. I want to have a clean heart, O Lord. And finally, it's turning from the sin and following the Lord. Um, and I would say this is what I would call the fruit of repentance. For Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, his repentance is... He has unclean lips, and he confesses that to the Lord, and the Lord cleans his lips. And he turns from the Lord, and, and from his clean lips tells the wondrous glories of God to God's people. For Zacchaeus, his repentance involved giving half of his goods to the poor, because he had stolen from the poor. He's turning from his bad works to doing good works. For Peter, he denied Christ three times, and his repentance involved affirming the risen Christ to his face three times that he loves him and going to feed his sheep. That's in John. That's at the end of John. And uh, when I was on staff with crew, I discipled a lot of students who struggled with pornography. And their repentance from that, turning from that sin, involved putting in serious boundaries and seeking heart restoration directly related to that sin. Right? Our repentance is turning away from the sin and following the Lord. We see a pattern of repentant hearts in the Bible turn away from that sin and specifically do what the Lord commands. So I want to review this one more time. I'm going to make this very, very easy. You can simplify it like this. Through prayer, we know, confess, and turn. That's repentance. Know your sin before God, confess your sin to God, and turn from your sin and follow God. Know, confess, turn. I think some of us get really worked up, and it's like, oh, well, I, I realize my sin is deeper than I ever thought. Is my repentance still okay? Or maybe I did these out of order. I confessed first, and then I knew more, and then I turned. I'm not turning very well right now, and it's all kind of a big mess. Or maybe is, it, is my repentance ever going to be enough? Maybe that's what you feel before the Lord. You just feel not enough. I don't know your heart, but I have, in my mind, gone through all these, all these questions. And I want to say, it's okay. Remember, you can repent of your sins because Christ has accomplished your redemption. It's not based on how perfect our redemption is. 
God knows your heart. He knows if you want to turn and follow him, and he will expose sin more and more as you grow in your walk with the Lord and as you mature. There's a really great image on the screen next. This is from a book called, is the image there? Oh, there we go. Uh, So this is from a book called The Gospel-Centered Life. Mookie walked through this with me when I was a student at Crew, and I think about this pretty frequently. This is what the life of repentance looks like. When you come to Christ, it's amazing, and you realize your sin, and and, uh, you see the Lord's glory. But as we grow on the bottom, more aware of our own flesh and our own sinfulness, we also grow more aware of God's holiness as we study His Word and and are in community together and, and are convicted of our sin. It doesn't change what the cross has done, but it does change how we view Christ's work. We see just how amazing the cross is. Because as the depths of our sin are exposed and as we continue to confess throughout a lifetime, We just see how glorious God is and how merciful He is and how loving and kind He is and how gracious He is in the gospel, how amazing the cross is in our life. And this leads me to my last point. I know you've been sticking with me for a long time. This is really important. My final point is this. What is the heart of the Lord right? Because none of this matters if God doesn't care. None of it matters if God doesn't care. Implicit throughout this whole psalm is the idea that the Lord wants to forgive our sins. He wants to forgive your sins, right? David would not be asking if he did not believe he would do it. And, and think about the end of the psalm, too. It's all about Zion and Jerusalem. He thinks the people around him can also experience this transformation. Our repentance is not just about ourselves, but people feel that in our community. So how do we know that the Lord will forgive us? How do we know He will redeem His people? How do we know that God hears our prayers? How do we know? Well, this is how we know. He's told us through His Word, and from the very beginning all the way up to this day, God has shown mercy to his covenant people. And he's, he's blessed us even when we haven't asked. And he's answered our prayers constantly. And if we come to him desiring to be made clean, it doesn't matter how messy our repentance is, he will heal us. And if you trust in the Lord by faith, he has saved you. And he will continue to bring up sin for your sanctification, and someday you will be free of it. That's our hope. He has answered our prayers since the beginning. After Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't immediately die like they were told would happen, but rather God covered them with animal skins to hide their shame and their nakedness. When the world rebelled against God and desired total annihilation, or or incurred total annihilation from the Lord, God showed mercy and he sent Noah and his family. And we have a reminder of that faithfulness today when we see a rainbow that God has mercy on his people. God chose Abraham out of whatever gods he was worshiping and out of wherever he was serving to serve the one true God. Even though Abraham messed up again and again, to this day he's the father of many nations. God delivered Joseph from the hand of his enemies. And when his family meant to kill him and do evil for him, the text says God meant it for good. 
God meant it for good. And he saved all of Israel because of it. And when Israel was in slavery for 400 years under Pharaoh, God heard their groans and he delivered them through the prophet Moses and gave them the law so that, so that they would have a different standard of living than where they came from. When Israel came to the promised land, God gave them King David to lead and to guide them. And when that king sinned horribly, the Lord forgave him. And he's always forgiven his people, right? And he's always blessed his people. When God's people were going to be annihilated by the, the schemes of Haman in the book of Esther, the Lord used Esther and Mordecai to save his people. Again and again, God cares for his people. When King the king of Israel, Manasseh, sacrificed his own children to the gods of the nations. He sent them through the fire. When Manasseh repented, God forgave Manasseh. And when Israel has always been in exile under the Egyptians, under the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, under Satan, God's people have cried out for deliverance, and God always answers their prayers. Always. And the fullness of this realization is in the person of Christ. God sent a Savior who did something even greater than all his people could have asked or imagined. The Father sent his only begotten Son, filled with the Spirit, to die for us, to bring about our redemption. Christ, raised from the grave victorious, is our assurance of salvation. It actually happened. It really happened. It is the most testified to event in ancient history. Christ's resurrection. His life, his death, his resurrection. Christ is the ultimate picture of God's faithfulness to his people. The fulfillment of all God's promises. The faithful guarantee of our salvation to us today. And he has ushered in a new creation in us and in his church. Friends, how can we repent? How can we repent? Christ has accomplished our redemption. He's done it. It is finished, he cried out on the cross. And for all time, this has been the Lord's character. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's kind of funny, isn't it? God forgives iniquity and yet will by no means clear the guilty. How will that happen? It seems like a contradiction, but it's actually not. It's because our guilt has been placed on Christ. First Peter says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Friends, the heart of the Lord is most plainly seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God loves you. He loves you. And he cares for you. That's why he forgives us. That's why the Father sent his Son to save us and to save you. God is love. Couldn't help himself. If you're worried that God doesn't hear your prayers, or that though you cry out to God in your heart, in your mind, from your lips in prayer day after day, it feels like God doesn't hear you, take heart. Since the first man and woman, God has been merciful. 
He will be merciful to you. You are not too far gone. The Lord loves you. And so, I'm going to say this one more time. No, confess, turn. That's, that's repentance. Repent of your sins, for Jesus has accomplished our redemption. Let's pray. Lord, you are holy, you are merciful, and you are kind and gracious. Would we repent of our sins? And, and as Christians, would you assure us of our salvation in you, even as you reveal to us the depths of our sin in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen.